Hey everybody, Adam Stott here. Thanks for checking out my podcast, Business Grow Secrets. You're absolutely in the right place. This podcast is going to reveal to you all of the secrets that you've been looking to discover that are going to allow you to cure your cash flow problems, attain more clients, bring in more leads for your business, and create systems and processes that give you the growth that you want. You are going to discover the business growth secrets you have been looking for that I've used to sell over £50 million worth of products and services on social media and help clients everywhere to grow their businesses on the mark. So let's get started on the Business Growth Secrets Podcast. Hello and good evening, everybody, tonight. Welcome on to this completely live podcast interview, which I'm going to be doing live initially before it goes out onto iTunes with uh, Tim Campbell, the first ever apprentice winner. So he was the first person to go on that show, which actually I think, you know, having uh, had really good relationships with Lee, who won the apprentice, and actually Joseph. I mean, uh, Tim was the first person to ever go and do it. So I'm really, really interested to hear what his thoughts might have been. You know, he's going into the unknown. We're going to talk a little bit about that. But what's really interesting about Tim, which I think you're going to get a lot of value from tonight, he's gone on to have a mega, mega career afterwards and do some amazing things. You know, one of the things that he's done, he's been a real advocate of inclusion and a real advocate of apprenticeships uh, within government, so much so that he went on to get an MBE for his services to small businesses. And I think he really understands small businesses and how to help small businesses and the moves that small businesses should be making. So I think for Business Growth Secrets tonight, we're going to be able to pull out some real content out to him and he's going to you know, drop some knowledge bombs on you tonight. Now, even more interesting than that, Tim's been involved in building a portfolio of businesses and, and just told me he's investing in over 700 businesses with his group. He's got tons of different businesses that he's been involved with. So he's got a lot, a lot of experience, which he's going to be able to share with you this evening. I think it's going to make for a great chat. He's a super friendly guy and I'm really excited to bring him on. So I'm going to, without any further ado, welcome to Business Growth Secrets Podcast. Tim, how you doing, buddy? Do you know what? Really well. It's a really weird one at the moment. Lots of people are obviously coming out of the other side of the pandemic in the UK. And I don't know if many of the people listening or, or viewing the podcast might share this as well, but there's a bit of guilt that is sometimes built into that, particularly from a business perspective, because the big desire for all of us listening is to aspire to greater things. So you're trying to work really hard, trying to make a good service or product for customers and interact and exchange that for value. But sometimes when you're dealing with customers, you hear about some real downturns that they've had in these last 12 to 18 months. And it's been incredibly hard for business owners, particularly small to medium-sized businesses, dealing with the rapid changes in the pandemic. But we're really fortunate. Touch wood. You do the proverbial thing, touching your head, so that says more about my head than anything else. <laughs> but essentially, we've been really fortunate to come through the pandemic, and we're really looking forward to that, levelling up, bounce back, uh, building back better, everybody keeps talking about. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, we're going to jump into a little bit of your story in a minute and hear a little bit more. But for somebody that has a portfolio of businesses and tons of other businesses you're involved in, there without a doubt would have been some that really suffered and some that probably thrived, right? I imagine that's been the case, you know. So I suppose you've been super busy in getting some of those businesses back on track and getting them rocking again, right? Very much so. Thankfully, we didn't have any businesses involved in the retail sector. But one of our big investments was in a, a gym group called NRG Gyms, five locations across the country with one just about in the making as we were about to go into the pandemic. So it hit us like a ton of bricks, the lockdown, because obviously interacting with people, 
which is at the heart of the gym leisure industry, was the thing that was hit like a rocket straight out the bat. And that's been really, really challenging, not just around the staff, the people working as part of the business, a fantastic owner and team in Shafiq in terms of building out from the ground up, but more so the customers that were interacting with that because the big thing that's come out of the pandemic, whether you're a business owner or somebody in outside of business, has been the whole conversation around well-being and being incredibly focused and really getting through that with your mental health intact has been something that we've really been troubled by, particularly dealing within the leisure industry. Yeah, 100%. So, Tim, you know, I think we're, where we start off, which I think is really interesting and a bit of a different different angle on it, but you were the first ever person to win The Apprentice. And obviously, had you watched the American one, I suppose would be my first question, when you went into it? So you had no idea what you was going into. You obviously, you don't go in like a mug and you know what you're going for in terms of a reality TV show. But you got to remember, this is 15, 16 years ago when yeah. reality TV wasn't the thing that it is now. You already yeah. mentioned a couple of people who I know very well. So Lee, uh, absolute legend. I was speaking to him a couple of weeks ago about a business thing that we're, we're talking yeah. to. Absolute top bloke. And also Joseph. I haven't spoken to him as much, but those characters went through a very different experience than I did. The very first one was very much around getting employment. It was at the very, very nascent initial beginning stages of what reality TV was. And to be fair, I was a bit naive walking into that scenario because I had no understanding of how impactful the series was going to be. You never think a series on BBC Two is going to be a revolutionary success, right? <laughs> in addition to that, there was only my initial knowledge of, as he was then, Sir Alan, as yeah. the entrepreneur within there, but nothing in terms of how the media worked and how yeah. that would be built up around the whole series. So to a degree, the biggest lesson, I suppose, for lots of people is two things that came out of that experience. Firstly, do as much research around any kind of business or any endeavor you're going to go into. Don't take that risk of jumping off the cliff and hoping that your wings will will stay, uh, stay from the sun, as it were, and that you'll keep flying because sometimes you'll get burned, as many contestants who went through the series in my year and subsequent years have. But at the same time, also built within there is that sometimes you if you knew the risk that you were walking in or how hard it would be, particularly around business, because no one really talks about sometimes the hardship around yeah. business, the isolation, the endless hours, the ups and lots of the downs that you go through, maybe many business owners would never have gone in. So actually, the level of naivety that came along with it may have been a good thing because for me, it was a great bet. It was a great opportunity that actually exposed me to lots of different opportunities. And for many business owners... I would say do as much research as possible, but you still have to be able to take the risk because that's where all the opportunity is, where some others might not tread. That's where actually you can take a huge, huge opportunity. Absolutely. And I think it's really interesting what you just said, right, is that a lot of business owners and, and a lot of businesses don't talk about how business can be tough. There's kind of this like Instagram culture of like, you know what, become a millionaire, work hard, graft, and you'll get there, right? <laughs> but not really the ups and downs are probably not discussed enough. But essentially, when you get that going and you, you, know, you start to build your business and you start to go through these things and you start to learn from them, I'll tell you what I love about, I don't know about you, Tim, but what I actually love about business is the evolving challenge of it. And I think if you're going to be successful in business, you've got to love challenges. I mean, would you kind of share that sentiment yourself? A hundred percent. I think people ask the question all the time, are business owners born or are they made? And I think it's actually a bit of a mute debate because 
it is different circumstances. There's lots of people who are going to come out of furlough or difficulty of losing their jobs who will turn overnight and actually be forced to become entrepreneurial. Yeah. And that may be a great catalyst for them to start a business that they never had. But there'll be also some people who it was the only thing for them that they were going to start their own business. I see Grant online. He's down from Cornwall talking about his hairdresser. The yeah. reality for him, he may have always known that he wanted to be able to get into that. And that was his thing. I don't really care how you got into it or what kind of personality you've got that may make you more like you or less likely to get in. What actually matters beyond all of our lovely conversations or whatever is how do you show up when those challenges face you? Because if you go in thinking it's going to be a linear uh, climb to success and that multi-million pot of gold, actually, the reality is on day one when you open the doors and no customers come, or <laughs> day one when you, you launch that website and it all crashes around you because all the links aren't working, etc. you then realise the type of business person that you're going to be because every single business person I know and have connected with it's how you respond to the challenges that come along, which actually creates the person that you need to be. But I don't think there is a single business person who their plan, if they even had a plan, and I know Harvard Business Review talks about only 50% yeah. of people actually put business plans together, but most people who get off and start a business, it never goes how they foresaw. But the reality is it's about tapping into what got you to take that leap in the first place. And for most people, it's about solving a problem or creating something that's better through their interaction. Absolutely. And actually, Grant, you talk about a story. He's got a really interesting story. He's an ex-professional footballer. He was on our course the other week. So he's oh, an wow. ex, uh, yeah, ex-professional footballer that, that had a health issue that meant he continued playing professional football when he went into yeah. business. And he's building his business. He's had his challenges, but he's doing well. He's keeping motivated. So he's got a really, really cool story. So oh, I love it. So, <laughs> so we go into The Apprentice and we you know, we win it, right? So what do you think the elements of that were, you know, for you, Tim, you know, going backwards there? You know, how comes you you walked out the victim, my friend? And I remember watching it, you know, I watched that first series of The Apprentice. I was a big Alan Sugar fan at the time. Yeah. So for me, the show itself, for me personally at that time, it was about I'd reached a crossroads in terms of a decision to see whether I was going to stay in the public sector where I was. So I was employed by Transport for London, the London Underground for those who have ever been on it. And I'd love the American tourists coming up and asking me, mind the gap and let me see your hat and all this other stuff, right? And I then was thinking and contemplating about starting a business with my wife in the nurseries field. Building up, we had a little concept around nurseries, which actually is still viable. And we might actually still do it because we haven't seen anybody do it in a way that we perceived it all that time ago. But I'd reached a crossroads to think, do I continue on in this public sector career world or do I go out and take another opportunity to go and grab hold of the chance to work with a successful UK entrepreneur who built himself up from nothing, from a similar area to where I grew up. He was from East London in Hackney. I was from East London over in, in Stratford. And somebody who had, through his own effort, built up a brilliant career for himself. You've got to remember, Lord Allen, as he is now, at one point had a business bigger than Microsoft. And that was a huge appeal for me to what I think is at the heart of most business engagement, and you talked about you having lots of mental groups and talking to lots of business owners. Actually, the big thing for me was actually learning from somebody who had been there and got the T-shirt to prove it. Now, I didn't care about millions of pounds or famous television shows or going to lovely parties. What I really wanted 
I wanted to learn from somebody who had been to the places I wanted to get to in order to be able to show me the way to get there. And whether it's me wanting to learn football and phoning up Grant to go and do it, or <laughs> phoning up someone to learn about hairdressing, it's always, it's so powerful in our networks to really yeah. find people who have been there before and be humble enough to say, do you know what, I don't know. Let me yeah. find somebody who knows more than me and actually benefit and grow from that. And for me, it was a risk worth taking because going into a, a television show where they could completely change your brand if you gave them the wrong information, I thankfully, touch wood again, came out the other side with a brand intact, access to a job, but more importantly, access to him and his knowledge about how I could do things differently. Yeah, and I love the fact that you said you you went through it in a humble way and with a humble mentality, right? I'm going to go and I'm going to go learn. And I think that is absolutely key and crucial for, for people to, you know, you can't get to where you're going to go. You don't get the pot of gold unless you do the actual learning. You do the work first, right? So absolutely. So from there, what happened next then, Tim? So after you, you worked in that environment, where did you, because, you know, you the path for you, and the path that you've walked is obviously you're employed, you're employed in, in the underground and in a public sector work. You've gone off, you've done this TV program, done really well on it, been really successful on it. And then you you moved on. But how did you get to where you are now being that you've, I mean, there's a lot of people who've been on The Apprentice, a lot of people who won The Apprentice, a lot of talented people as well. But, you know, in terms of what you've gone on to accomplish afterwards, getting an MBA, helping a lot of people, you've done a lot of good work. You know, and that's when, you know, my PR got in touch with me and said about you coming on. Absolutely. You know, really, it's a really interesting story. You've helped a lot of people. You've, you've got an MBA for your services to businesses and you've invested tons of businesses. So what did you learn along the way and what kind of came next? You know, it's quite, it's, it's really interesting. Everyone talks about the MBA. My daughter tells me it's my big ears, but I, that's what your children do. They take the mick out of you, don't I think I've been really fortunate that actually, Lord Sugar gave me the best piece of advice ever when I started working with him. He said, Tim, what you've got to remember is in this world, lots of people will try to attract you with camera bulbs. And by that, he meant being famous. Lots yeah. of people will flirt with you to go and sell your story, do lots of stuff for camera and attention and whatever. He said, Tim, don't buy into it. What you need to buy into, buy into achievements things that can't be taken away from you and are not at the result of a camera bulb. And if you yeah. do that, you'll always have a successful career. And at the time, I kind of felt, well, you just don't want me to have fun. You just don't want me to go out to the premieres and do all the lovely stuff. And you can say that because you've built up your company, you're in there. But actually, listening to his wise words at that time was probably the reason why I've gone on to do so many different things because I didn't go out and sell my story to a newspaper. I didn't go out and write a book or whatever. What I did, I focused on creating platforms that would help me to help others and also to help my family. So it wasn't always sunshine because let me make me clear, I think all too often, if we're going to be honest, many of us don't talk about the bad things that we've experienced, the things that went really, really wrong. And for me, my first business after leaving from Lord Sugar was an absolute disaster. I worked in the health and beauty division. We built up a very successful company around selling cosmetics, right? So I was that guy running around, rubbing cream on the back of my hand, saying, oh, isn't that lovely? All the vitamins you've got and everything. But I knew it inside out, right? I did all the research. I did all the work in order to be able to get it. And I thought, you know what? I'll go and start my own company doing exactly the same thing. And what I realized very quickly after plugging about 50 grand into a business and then trying to get off the ground is that 
it wasn't just about the strength or will of your attitude that would get you. It was about having a robust plan and an execution that matched that energy that you had into the idea. Because having an idea is great. Executing is the key thing. Delivering is a key thing. But that lesson, after driving down to Brighton Beach and crying in my chips on the beach, right? Um, <laughs> that lesson was the greatest thing for me because in that moment of hardship, I realized two things. Firstly, you're allowed to make mistakes as long as you learn from them. Mm. And secondly, I wasn't dead. Very important that because as long as you're alive, you can try again because I think sometimes <laughs> when you're in those moments, you can yeah. think that the mistake that you've made or whatever's gone wrong is the biggest thing in the world. You know what I realized really quickly, Adam? No one gives a monkeys. No one cares. No. Because people have got their own stuff, they're getting on with it, and sometimes we blow it up bigger in our heads than actually what it really is. And that humility came from failing. And sometimes I think it's better to fail early on, and sometimes really hard, but actually you've got to unpick that to see what, what went wrong. What did you do? How could you not do it together? And that learning for me was one of the most important things. There's a book I think everybody in the, your group should listen to, uh, so, or if you do it on audio book or read, it's called Principles by Ray Dow. It's one of my massive books, right? He talks about being ultra realistic that sometimes things will go wrong. How you respond to them and the lessons that you learn so you don't do it again is the power that you go forward with. So for me, Whoever's on the line or watching your podcast would have had a, a bad experience as long yeah. as they learn from it. So I did. Anyway, That's after that. For, to empower them, didn't they? And I think yeah. we're actually speaking this today. And we're speaking about this today. And a couple of people coming up and talking about the experiences. And a lot of people have a bad experience. And then they use that to hold them back rather than to empower them. You know, and I think it's how can you use that, that bad experience? They'd actually say, you know what? I came through that. And so now I could do anything, right? If you can get that mindset right, that's going to help you so much more. So it's really interesting, you know, really interesting, especially that, you know, and, and you didn't let it define you, right? So, and, and the thing is, you, you know, when you can go and openly talk about it, it shows how much you've embraced it and learned from it. You know? Listen, the reality is that if everyone had a perfect journey, we wouldn't need all the books, learning, education, all the stuff that we have, because it would just be easy. We just roll out of bed and make it happen. The reality is the world doesn't work like that. And I don't think there's ever been more of a time than through the pandemic where we're going to really learn about how you build what the, that, that magic R word everyone talks about, about resilience. And anybody who has made it through this period of time, or even those who haven't, but are still standing to tell the tale, you'll never get a better example of resilience and how you can actually learn from it. So I look at Helen, who's just started her business, and I know that this is the greatest time for her to be able to do that because she'll never forget these lessons. They'll think that she'll never take for granted. So actually, it's really, really important that we take that forward. After that, though, I wanted to make sure that nobody did the same thing as I did in terms of having the arrogance about, I could just make it happen because I believe it, walking into mistakes and not doing proper and thorough research. So I set up an organization called Bright Ideas Trust. I had no clue about how I was going to get this off the ground, but I knew I wanted to create a platform which empowered people who came from places like I did, who had no people in their peer group or network around knowing what business was about, but in giving them the opportunity to do so. So we set up Bright Ideas Trust, raised over the course of its journey about 3 million quid, invested in over 700 different companies, and that was for the work of what the team did is what I got acknowledged for through the, the award around my MBE. So I owe all of that, not just to the team that I created around me of experts who knew 
exactly what to support people with regards to mentoring, business planning, cash flow forecasting, and all the other elements about business, which they don't talk about, but also to those entrepreneurs who took their time to actually embark on a journey that many, many wouldn't have gone through. So for me, we were really fortunate to see jewellery businesses, hairdressers, uh, tailors, uh, you name it. We saw a whole gamut of different business ideas. But the underpinning of all of that was people's desire to have a bit more control in their life and also leverage a talent or a skill that they had and generate revenue for themselves. Because when you work for somebody else, there's always going to be potentially a cap on what you can get in return for that. But with your business, it's great that you can match the effort you put in to the rewards that you get out. And there is no limit on what that can look like apart from the limit that we impose ourselves. So it was an incredibly rewarding journey that we took on over 12 years. We took on that journey and empowered people through mentoring, education, and obviously cash investment into their businesses. How important for you is mentoring and education? I think it's incredibly important. I think it has to be matched with personal desire because I think you can mentor and educate people to the best of your ability, but actually they walk out the other side and they don't put the effort in. And yeah. it goes back to that point I talked about before about yeah. the execution. So I've gone to some of the best universities in the country, qualifications from Oxford, London Business School, you name it, as well as Middlesex University, which is my first one, which wasn't on the leagues the best one, but I got a great opportunity out of it. And going through all of those, you'll see people who will get access to the most revolutionary information that they could get at uh, access to, but still walk out and do absolutely nothing with it. So that the mentoring and education has to be a good quality. It has to be altruistic in terms of it has to want to empower more people. I think there's a kind of that famous saying is like when the student is ready, the master will appear. Right. And the reality is it's kind of like they do have to be ready. But when somebody is ready and if you can match that with the mentoring and the help and the guidance, that's when you can get great results, save a load of time and go out there and make things happen a lot, lot, lot quicker. You know, I do love the fact, um, you know, when you're talking about the story and you're crediting your team around the MBA, you're not going, oh, you know, I've got that for this and I've got that for that. And I do think that that humbleness is, you know, a really good quality. And I do think which is important, is, is not everybody has that, right? You know, a lot of people don't give others credit a lot of the time when they've had a, a team that, you know, I really like the fact that you've you've credited your team with that as well. And how, how have you managed to stay humble then through the few, you know, quite a few different successes then that you've had, Tim, would you say? It's easy. Have a Sierra Leonean wife. She'll kick you in the nuts often. <laughs> remain humble all the time, do you know what I mean? <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, I think I don't take for granted the really fortunate position I'm in because I've had nothing and had crap. So when you are in that situation, when you have been exposed to bad situations, I personally believe that helps you reflect positively on the positive situations because you need that shade to the light sometimes to use to fully appreciate. Because I think if I'd only ever had this meteoric rise and everything were perfect, I don't think I'd have as much respect for it as if when you have nothing. And yeah, it's a leveler, isn't it? When you have a leveller as well, it, it does help you. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> helps you come down to earth, doesn't it? You know, without a shadow of a doubt. And I've been there myself, right? Absolutely. That definitely helps. It's interesting you said about your, your wife being from uh, Sierra Leone. I've just, uh, you know, I'm helping a, a lady called Kip to build her, her business. 
um, which I, I did a TV program with them, uh, Rich House, Poor House, and she's got a, a she's from Sierra Leone. Yes, she's got a cooking, cooking business. Is your wife a great cook? She's an amazing cook. I'm better, but don't tell her that. <laughs> the recording. Yeah. No, it's a nice food. Really good food. Really good food. This lady's uh, business called Bongo's Kitchen is doing really, really well. Very, very Good interesting. Good on us. Cool. So if we, we we get to this point, right, then we build this business up. So this is interesting. You've got the idea, Bright Ideas Trust, but you say at the point where you start it, you know, which you mentioned just a moment ago, you didn't really know how you were going to take it forward. You just knew yeah. that you wanted to go and help people. right? And I think a lot of people have an idea. A lot of people sit on the idea. You know, and a lot of people don't go and take it forward. So how did you take an idea to fruition to raising millions of pounds and then investing in 700 businesses? What's the story behind that, Tim? Because that's you know, pretty impressive work, really. I think the thing for me is that what I've seen from lots of business owners who have started at the beginning, whether they've got 10 quid or 10,000 quid as a startup, is that most of them are driven by a passion, either to prove people wrong who would have doubted them and overlooked them or to prove people right who have a belief that they have a talent or skill that should be received by many other people. And when you tap into that understanding of what your catalyst is, what your North Star is, what your why is, then it's really hard to get knocked off track. Yeah. What I think happens is that people may initially start for what may be, in my opinion, the wrong reason. Some people may just start because of the accolades or rewards that come from the success outside of business. So whether it's the, the money, the cars, the houses, whatever or not, that may be their rationale. The difficulty is that those things aren't guaranteed and also those, those things don't actually bring you happiness. In my opinion, actually interacting with a customer and they walking away feeling better about themselves or they have something that they wanted, interacting with a business owner where you solve a problem, where you explain something which they didn't know before, or interacting with somebody who has come into a difficult position and worked it out for themselves through your support or mentoring how to get to the other side, those yeah. things fill my heart with joy. Those yeah. things will make sure that I work seven days a week. Those things will make sure that I don't sleep until two, three o'clock in the morning. Those things will make me get up in the morning with a smile on my face, knowing I can do it. And for every business owner, I think you've always got to remember, why did you start on this journey? Because there are going to be difficult periods. There are going to be pandemics. There are going to be hardships where you don't know what's going to come tomorrow. But what's going to get you through, not, not blindly, but it's going to give you the energy to go and find mentors and be humble, go and get you to read websites or books to understand what's necessary. Listen to a podcast to find out a solution or connect with somebody who's done it before to give you a way to do it. Is that passion not to give up? Because if you fall at the first hurdle and you scrape your knee and you think, oh, so this is not for me, then it wasn't for you. And that's okay because it's not for everybody. Not everybody can do this, right? But for those who get up, and are willing to face the obstacles, who are willing to deal with the moany customers, who are willing to deal with the difficult, unpredictable nature of business. There are amazing upsides on the other side where I've seen kids who have literally come from nothing, who have bought their first flat for themselves, or who have made their first million, or who have gone out and built a website that's changed somebody's life. All of those things I'll never ever lose 
And that would always make it value for me, the things that we've been involved in. Yeah, I love that. And I think that, you know, what you're saying there about actually you're getting a lot of value from helping other people and, and a lot of motivation from that. I think it's very, very true. You know, when I started my first business, you know, truthfully, it's all about the money, right? You know, there's no doubt about it. But, you know, the business that I'm in now, I would work seven days a week and I would work, you know, as much as I had to. And I would work for free because it's the value you get from seeing others grow. And I think it's a really, really great thing if you can help people. Mm. Um, it's a wonderful business to, to be in. There's no doubt about it. So let me, let me go on. Don't get me wrong. And, and, I think this is really important because you made, you made a really, really important point there is that I don't care what gets people to focus on their endeavor. I don't care what the carrot is for somebody. Yeah. And I don't judge them on it, right? Because <laughs> I don't think money is evil or bad. Yeah. It's what people do with it actually is what they should be judged on, right? But if your carrot is to make a million quid and that's what gets you through, use it, own it, hold yeah. on to it and use it to get you through yeah. to the other side, right? I don't mind that, but I think you've got to be really honest about what that is. And the, the only thing for me with materialistic things is that often when you get them, you then start looking for something else. Because as Bob Marley said, the money is infinite. There, there, there's no cap on the money that's out in the world, right? So essentially, you'll never be satisfied, going back to Hamilton's song, if you only ever focus on one materialistic aspect. So for me, it was really important to couple, don't get me wrong, the nice things that are attached with having access to capital with other things that can't be bought. So my family is incredibly important. My two kids are incredibly important. My family around me, I grew up knowing that I can help them and do different things with them, going yeah. on holiday. Those things... They are really important to me, which is the things that get me out of bed still. And yeah. incidentally, you still make money at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. You know, those driving reasons, very, very important. Now, one of the things I definitely wanted to talk to you about as well is your work with apprenticeships. And, you know, talk to me a little bit about apprenticeships because, I mean, there's some good stuff out. I'm seeing some businesses embrace the Kickstarter program at the moment and get some good results, right? You know, some of my clients that have never really had the ability previously to take on employees, build a team, are actually finding their confidence now to go and do that with the Kickstarter program. And I know having the fact that you've done so much work um, in this area that I'd really like to hear your opinions on apprenticeships, you know, how you become involved in it and, and what, what you have to say to, you know, people watching tonight. I'm, I'm a great advocate around apprenticeships and the ensuing Kickstarter program and traineeships that have come out of the government initiative. I think one of the key elements of a successful government is create employment opportunities for its people, right? So alongside education, creating jobs is really, really important. And particularly jobs for individuals emerging from education, that is a critical time to grab hold of them because as many of people, you and I, We'll know what, our, what, what was your first job, Adam? What was your first ever job? What did you ever get paid for? Uh, my first ever job was working for my dad um, in building, and I despised him. Yeah. <laughs> I can't hear like I am the worst DIY person you'll ever meet. We've all got skills that ain't one of mine, right? No doubt. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And I think, but that, but that for me, having the experience of knowing that your time can be attributed to value is really important, even if it teaches us what not to do. So let me be clear, get, working in a second-hand shop, cleaning cookers was never going to be my career option, but it was my incentive, <laughs> probably like you, 
to ne- to work really hard so I never got forced to clean cookers. I was ne- I had the option not to do it. Just like you have the option not to work on a building site because the shelf might fall down, right? Yeah, <laughs> getting people into, particularly young people, into the world of work where they can understand that their efforts can be exchanged for money and their time, their interventions is important. I think is really, really critical at early stage. So the government initiative, I worked with the now Prime Minister uh, while he was look, the Mayor of London to advocate to businesses about taking on apprentices. The yeah. difficulty with apprentices, particularly for small businesses, that sometimes it was very difficult that for them to align the resources to manage that process through. Because if you're a, a free man team, having one person allocated to an apprenticeship program, that's a third of your workforce. That's a huge obstacle, right? So when the government came along with traineeships, getting people to have work experience opportunities, and now with the Kickstarter program, there's much more opportunities to support individuals with a wage for six months, which is a heavy burden taken off employers because That's if right, you're yeah. just getting off, it's really difficult. But also the ability to bring a great amount of skill from that population of Kickstarters into a business because you might be a young person who's an expert around social media, where yeah. if I'm a business that hasn't even got a website and there's so many businesses in the country yeah. that don't even have a website – that could be a mutual exchange of benefit. You get the experience of working with me in a corporate. I get the experience of your digital skills in order to be brought in. So I think there's huge opportunities there where we have to get young people, but not exclusively young people, the opportunity to work in the environment. I think why I say not just young people, because apprenticeships, traineeships, Kickstarter programs automatically get associated with young people. What we're seeing very different in this pandemic and is going to be more so as we go forward is that the reality is that our kids, the young people of the next generation, are going to probably live to 100 years old. There's a book that everyone should read called The 100-Year Life, right, where because of medical interventions, better ways of living, better access to food and healthcare, most of us are going to live longer. So Major Tom, God rest his soul, uh, Sir Major Tom, when he got to his 100th birthday, changed the way that people think around donating to charity in the NHS, key workers. We've got to clap for them, do more than clap for them, give them bloody more money, right? But essentially, many more of us will live to that great age of 100. What that means is that there's going to be a lot more older people, and I say that because I am getting old myself, who are going to come back into the workforce and need opportunities. So, I think that's a great opportunity for businesses to take hold of skilled individuals who may have had a different career and a different way of thinking to work alongside young people who also want opportunity. Because it's not a zero-sum game. Young people working doesn't mean old people can't get work. And old people in work doesn't mean young people can't get opportunity. They have different skill sets. The digital natives of young people won't be able to compete maybe with a strategy that older individuals will be able to bring. So I think there's a great opportunity to use traineeships kickstart a program to benefit everybody yeah without a doubt and you were a government advisor right so you actually got hired how did that come about tim i think that's an important thing as well how did your government advisor role come about it's weird because i never saw myself you can't imagine growing up in east london in stratford i could never have imagined myself being an advisor to anybody apart from the bloody self because no one would listen to me (laughs) but essentially i think having gone through the work of supporting uh, thousands of young people and slightly older ones through our charity around how to start a business, how to understand the mythical terms around business and have the confidence to take that leap of faith to go on their own journey. That was a unique experience 
that was valuable to government about how do they amplify that across lots of other people. Because let's be clear, for us as a country to be successful, we can't have just exclusively people working for the public sector. We do need an active private sector of confident individuals who feel the ability to start their own business is something for them. Because the more of us who are doing that, paying taxes, creating jobs, and yeah. taking risks, the better it is for us as UK PLC, right? So whether you are a shopkeeper with one employee or you're a building company like your dad who takes on many people, including their sons who don't want to do it, it doesn't right. matter, right? It's all about can we get more people to think about it? And going back to that living longer process, the reality is that we can't really take for granted that by the time we reach 65 or 70, as it grows older, that we're going to get a pension that's going to look after us for another 30 years. So there's going to be many people who are going to have what we call side hustles who will be able to build up different revenue streams into their lives to make sure they have enough money to live when they want to stop working. What will actually happen though, Adam, which is really interesting, is that lots of those side hustles will be test cases to see which successful business they could throw their efforts behind. Because it may be the hairdresser who started doing things locally because they like doing it, but realise they're good at it and they've got customers who really think they're good. And that was a confidence to start something else. Or it might be somebody who's fixed a shelf in the house and realised, well, actually, I'm really good at that. I can learn more about it, take a course, and then start a joinery company, right? So I really advocate more and more people doing it. And that's what I was advising government about one, how we can get more people to start businesses, to take away some of the obstacles to get people involved. And we've got a very easy process in the UK, let me be clear, about starting a business. It's not very complicated, but it isn't known to many people. And then it was also, how do we get government to do more work with small businesses? Because let's make it clear, for some small business to engage in government, it can be very, very difficult. Many businesses couldn't wait for 120 days to get paid or even 90 days to get paid for work they might have done. And also the arduous nature of having three years of accounts, having a partner at this level, et cetera. They can be really big barriers for good businesses to come and do stuff more efficiently than some of the big companies that are wedded into government and guaranteed uh, opportunities, which may be costing the government more. So lots of those conversations having with Department for Business, and also with different uh, areas around communities, getting more people involved were really, really inspiring for me to be able to help. And, and did you feel, Tim, when you were involved in that, that they listened? I think it'd be really interesting. Uh, and the reason I think that question is really interesting is because sometimes people don't feel that they can make a difference or don't feel that they're heard, or there's people that do have opinions around, you know, what maybe the government should do or they've got ideas about what will be helpful. Yeah. But they don't feel like they've got a voice. Do you feel like when you went in there and you started to communicate those, do you think they would listen to? Do you think the ideas were took and put in place? Yeah, definitely. I, I think it didn't feel like a waste of my time, put it that way. I think the difficulty for me, probably similar to you and many of your, your listeners to the show, is that when you're involved in business, the power of business is that I can have an idea, go out tomorrow and make it happen, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, the difficulty working with government 
it's a big oil tanker. So things don't happen that quickly, not just because it's public sector, just because it's a big institution. I know lots yeah. of privately held companies which have grown to a scale where it takes lots of process to do stuff. That's the nature of big business, right? And the advantage of small business, you can be fleet of foot and move left or right, depending on what you want to do. And it's great to see Didi wants to get involved in that because she's using her older experience to be able to come out and start on there. So she'll be really, really, really quick, right? But the point for me was going into government and having those conversations with people was useful, even if it got them to think differently. Now, maybe I had to manage my expectations to realise that my idea wasn't the best idea in the world and they must do it now. Because let's be clear, there's a priority of things they've got to do. But the, the, the rationale for all of us as special advisors, the group that we were brought into, and there were some amazing people who I'm, I'm great things with now, like people like Emma Sinclair, the youngest lady to launch on, on the stock market with a parking business. Absolutely amazing young lady. Other individuals that were part of that group that we sat with. We had great feedback for government, but they have to take that away and see how they can incorporate it into not just policy, which takes a lot of time, but into the, the way that things are done within government, which is sometimes really difficult. So that was a great experience for me to learn how up the other side looks, because sometimes you can only be looking at it from your shoes. And for many people who have been involved in sales or been involved in business, the first thing you learn is stand in the shoes of the other people first to see where they're coming from. Absolutely. And did you have a, obviously you're working with Boris Johnson in capacity when he was mayor of London. What was he like then? What's your, uh, what was he like? Because, you know, there's split opinion on old Boris Johnson without doubt. You know, some people love him, some people are, oh, you know, what, what were your thoughts? My experience with, with Boris Johnson was incredibly positive. I was brought in with a specific remit to encourage businesses, mainly in London, but not exclusively, because I toured around the whole country doing this, as he's apprenticeship ambassador. So my remit was to getting and help businesses see the power of working with talent that they may not have got access to beforehand. So I was incredibly successful in that role. And his policy around advocating apprenticeship was a big success element of his mayoralty, right? So my personal experience with Boris Johnson was very, very positive. Myself and my wife met him. We've had dinner. We've had the conversations. And he was very authentic around wanting to make sure that inclusion and access to opportunity was evenly spread around all the people of the capital of the city. So for me, that was a personal thing because I remember having the conversation saying, listen, I don't want to be some tokenistic gesture which says I'm oh, coming in to say how great apprenticeships are because I went on a television that had a similar name. I'm not really interested in that. He said, Tim, whatever you need to make this happen, you have my word that my department and my, my role as mayor will be afforded to make uh, apprenticeships work. So from that perspective, he was a man of his word and actually somebody who followed through on that particular thing. So I had a great experience with him working in that and it proved beneficial for hundreds of thousands of young people, particularly who got involved in apprenticeship because businesses like PwC, businesses like Channel 4, businesses like Barclays and others all got involved in the apprenticeship movement and supported the mayor's call to action and our apprenticeship call to action around taking on talent from different places. Nice, awesome stuff. Nice, no, really interesting to hear for people, you know, and it's good to hear hear that story without a shadow of a doubt. So we come to the point where, you know, I've been saying we've had some brilliant content so far. You've only just joined. We've got a couple of questions in. We're going to answer this one first from uh, Shani. Shani. 
yeah currently working in health and social would like to go on my own would you suggest i do this on the side until it takes off or leave my job take the risk go full force my own business over to you tim what are your opinion on this one my friend 100 percent. so firstly shiny the great thing that you have you have a job at the moment brilliant and you're doing great work because there needs to be so much more investment in health and social care because the outputs of the pandemic are going to be more reliant on people like you so firstly massive thank you to all that you do whatever role it is it's incredibly important i would 100 percent advocate to use your time now to do as much research and use the fact that you are in employment to do it and test it off the side before taking the leap of faith i'm not a great one for throw everything to the wind and just jump off because there's no need for you to do that if you're in employment you're earning a wage and you want better use the time that you have now in order to do the research, build up the business plan, get information and knowledge about what you could do and test it out, right? So take the time that you have now to build up a side hustle. And then when it starts to get to a level where it's competing with both your time and the amount of money you can earn from your job, then you make the decision about, do I go one way or another? Never do that before because this is not a casino. Life is not a casino, right? There isn't gambles. You can't get your money back. You can't get a refund. So it's better, in my opinion, to go in armed with as much information. And the beauty of an apprenticeship is that there is no better chance for an employer to see how someone's going to perform than when they're on the job. You have the same thing, not like an apprenticeship, but in the world of business, test it out without having too much at risk apart from your spare time. Do the nine to five to get paid and then use the five to nine to work out if this is a business you should do. Absolutely. I'd echo that in every way. And again, if you can get the income level up to replace your income you're earning with your job, you know, you can get it close to there where if you invest more time in it, then it's going to overtake it. And that's the perfect way to start and get going. So this one is from Grant. So how does a business seek investors like yourself into their business? Uh, Which is a good question because, you know, there's a lot out there, right? There's a ton, but a lot of people don't know that, right? They don't know that those types of things are available. So there is the- tons of different ways now. So I'm, I'm showing my age now. In the old <laughs> days, you had to literally go to a high street bank. If you didn't have what they call friends, family, or fools around you, all politeness to fools, if you didn't have those three Fs around you, then the only option for you was to go to a bank, right? because you have to go to a bank manager, have a conversation with the bank manager, who would assess your idea and see whether the bank would loan you some money. Now, there are so many different ways, crowdfunding platforms, business angel networks, and also still those friends, family and fools who will want to try to get an advantage by investing in somebody else's idea rather than just leaving their money in the bank. The opportunity I think now is so vast that the key thing that is, different to today than what it is when I was starting is the access of the world wide web. The reality is that you, in addition to starting up a business really easy, you can have a global facing business by purchasing a domain with a .com on it. And by creating a website using made to measure website service, you can essentially be marketing to the world. Yes, obviously there's lots of competing things, but by doing that, you can essentially open up a shop window. How do you get investors in is by talking about your business idea. The reality is that six degrees of separation is probably the first way to start because within your network, 
you should be sharing what your idea is so they can then start sharing to think, one, would I give you the money? Very key point, know what you're asking for first and how much you need. Work that out. Get that really quick. Just don't say, I need some money. Like, what for? What are you going to do with it? How much do you need? If I gave you this, what would you do? You've got to have those answers real to brain. And then start doing the research around, does anybody in that network know any business people who are interested in the sector that I'm trying to do and might want to partner with me in going forward with it? The other thing to think about is that could you find partners to work with who could also bring money and experience to the table to bring that money in? So it comes back to that thing I talked about firstly. How determined are you to make this thing a success? Because if this was something that your life depended on, what would you do to make this happen? What would you do? Because lots of people say, I saw something the other day, they said, actually, money is not always the first thing you need with a business because actually... It's about how determined are you to make it success. So there's a video that's going around on the internet. You might have seen it where it says there's a guy who wanted to start a landscaping business. He ran out and he went to an investor and he said, I need 20 grand to start a business because I need to buy a van. I need to get a website. I need to get a uniform and all this different stuff. And the investor looked at him and said, you want 20 grand? He said, yeah, I need 20 grand because that's what I've worked out. I've got the business plan. It says I need this. He goes, do you know what you need? He said, no, no, what do I need? He goes, you need to go down to B&Q and you need to buy a spade. Buy a spade and that costs you 12 quid. Once yeah. you've got that 12 quid, you need to get on your two feet, your God-given uh, vehicle, your two feet and knock on every single door. He said, because the second you do that, the first customer you ever get, you'll be profitable because that money will pay for your shovel and your lunch and everything else and you just replicate it. So you don't need anything. You actually need to get off your backside and do something. So I don't know what Grant's business is or what he wants to take forward, how he gets involved, but I'd be really looking to the bare brass tacks of what it is to say, what do I actually need to get off the ground? And before I go to any investor, whether it's my business or any other, I need to have a proof that I've put in as much as I possibly can to make it successful before I go and ask somebody else. Because if somebody comes to me and says, Tim, I want my business and I need you to give me hundred grand. I'll be like, so what have you done? Well, I've just had the business idea. Sorry, mate, not going to work. It's not going to work. Because if you haven't done anything to move this forward, whether it is building a website to show me what it is or a product, taking it and making a, a mock-up of it to show you how it might work, then why should I have the energy to make you successful when you haven't got as much energy to prove that you're willing to do it? So I really would like to understand what does Grant feel he needs the investor for what the business actually idea is and what will that money actually bring? Because when you break it down into those levels, actually there may be more ways to make the things happen that you want. So for example, a business that we worked with, they had the understanding that they need to do a lot of research and it was going to cost them like 50 grand from a marketing consultancy. The reality is they had somebody in their network who worked at a university. They were able to get university students to do it part of a project for a course they were doing where they got that research for free from the best brains in the country who are viral to it. Zero pounds, yeah. big benefits. And yeah. from a business person's perspective, you have to start out with that mentality. It's like, how can I do the most with the least? Because if you don't have that beginning, yeah. you're never going to make it in terms of the high echelons that you need it to. So some really interesting stuff there from Tim, really, really interesting. You know, the, the spade story, 100%. And, and when you look at that from an investor's perspective, it's you don't want to invest in someone that's lazy, right? And and lazy with their concepts, right? It's not even lazy like they want probably want to go and do the work, 
But if they're lazy with their concepts and they haven't gone and done everything and haven't demonstrated what they can do with it, why are you going to invest in them? You know, you need an, an investor wants to see a proof of concept and they want to see a proof of concept working so they can add some value and drive it on. They don't want to just see an idea. An idea is the 1%, you know, the rest is the 99, right? That's the word that goes into it. So it's 100%. Um, great, great advice there from Tim. Really, and really the guy good. on there, he talks about he's been in business for 10 years. And he talks about, he didn't put his name in there, but there's a great point underneath that. I'll come back to Nadeem in his question in a second. But the point he raises is that he's got to a business to a certain level. How does he get investors to the next level? The great thing with creating a business that's already got cash flow associated with it, it's easier to attract more money to it. Because if you've got a history, there's two stages in the business, right? Two stages in the business. There's before you've done anything and there's after you've done something. The best time to ask, man, ask for money is before you've done anything because it's all a dream, right? And people can buy into the dream. The worst time to ask for money is when you've actually started because then you can't do it based off a dream. It needs facts. And if the facts are good, and if you've been in business for 10 years, the facts should be good, then actually it should be easier to get access to investors. And from my perspective, as a business owner, you want to be holding on to as much control and equity of your business for as long as you possibly can. So the first point should be, if you've got a cash generating business, go and ask for some debt. There's never been a better time because good debt, where you yeah. get money in to accelerate the business to make more money, that's an easy thing to do. Banks are desperate to give out money to successful businesses that are growing at a decent rate. And also the interest rates around that money has never been better. So actually, if you've got a successful business, we need to get rid of this idea that debt is bad because I grew up with it borrowing any money, HP, you were seen as a pariah in our community. You've got money on tick. You've got all this stuff, blah, blah, blah. You're seen as a negative. But once you start to learn how it really works, actually good debt is in a way to accelerate your business and get out from the situation you are. So I'll go back to Nadine's now if you wanted to put that one on. I don't know. Yeah, so Nadine's um, very similar. How can I get yeah. invested in my business, that one? Yeah. So Nadine, it's great that you're – uh, in Cameroon because we're doing a huge amount of work looking at yes we're doing a lot of stuff over looking at Africa now because for me the continent is a huge opportunity so my current position now I'm with a global company called OSTC and I'm regional head of Africa for their business so I'm looking specifically to take the trading business that we have so we trade futures contracts and take that into the continent of Africa an incredibly exciting project with a brilliant company of entrepreneurial founders led by an amazing man called Lee, right? We've had a great conversation. And now I'm leading the charge around how we take it into Africa. So don't worry, Nadine. We'll probably, I'll, I'll hopefully I'll see you in Cameroon at some point when we do some <laughs> investigations. So keep in contact, right? But in, it goes back to what I was saying before. You've got to look at the position. If I need a lot of money to start my business from day one, maybe it's better that I go and work for somebody in that space to really, really understand it, to make sure I've nailed all the different elements of it. And how can I create a pathway for somebody to give me money that's going to accelerate the idea that I've got? Because if it needs money to kick it off, there's bigger risk associated with it. And also, you're going to have to give away some control because the most expensive equity you'll ever give away in your business is at the earliest stage. Because when there's nothing to show for it, that means I'm going to ask for a lot of it in exchange for my money because it, I've got to build in the risk that you might not be able to make that business plan a reality, right? So if you can't do it with nothing and you need money, then it's about finding business communities 
either business owners in similar sectors who might be willing to invest into your idea or business owners in general who have capital which is sitting around which they might not want to pay through tax system that they might want to invest it to actually grow more money from there because the good thing that i've learned is that money likes to grow it's, it's a natural thing it's the best fertilizer in the world money right if you get it essentially you've got to have the right proposition to attract that money to you so have you got a corporate structure that is attractive to money have you got an idea that is attractive to money are you as an individual representing your company attractive to money all of those things you've got to get ready before asking for a handout right and that's not a negative thing because sometimes we need a, a hand but once again stand in the shoes of the person asking for the money you're asking the money for and see would you give it to yourself just want to say, you know, Tim, that's that's amazing advice and guidance there tonight. And you're really giving up your time. We've been, uh, you know, giving a load, a load of content tonight. If you've been listening tonight to Business Growth Secrets, you're listening on iTunes or Spotify, make sure you go and give us a five-star review and give us a bit of feedback, right? Make sure you subscribe as well. Can we say a big thank you to Tim because it's been absolutely amazing. Thanks, Tim, so much. Been an amazing guest. And thank you to everybody that's been watching tonight. Another great episode of, uh, of, of Business Growth Secrets. And Tim, do you, uh, do you ever come and do live events, my friend? Is that something you do? Yeah, okay. I, do it. I do a lot of live events. I get, I'm, I'm very fortunate. I, I often get booked uh, to speak at events, particularly around business, motivation, self-reliance and discipline and other things. So I'm often around the country. Now the world's opening up again. We'll be back and traveling and doing some stuff. But I'm always available. I'm either doing some nonsense on Instagram. Find me at Timothy Campbell underscore MBE. Or Tim Campbell underscore MBE. I'll actually or find me on my story, actually, and share yeah, that. Brilliant, yeah, brilliant. Or yeah, find brilliant. me on LinkedIn. Or find me on LinkedIn. Yeah, and we'll get, um, you know, we'll get you to one of our events as well. I think lots of people enjoyed it tonight. So thanks, everybody, and good night. Hey everybody, Adam here, and I hope you loved today's episode. Hope you thought it was fabulous. And if you did, I'd like to ask you a small favor. Could you jump over and go and give the podcast a review? Of course, I'll be super grateful if that is a five-star review. We're putting our all into this podcast for you, delivering you the content, giving you the secrets. And if you've enjoyed it, please go and give us a review and talk about what your favorite episode is perhaps. Every single month, I select someone from that review list to come to one of my exclusive Academy days and have lunch with me on the day, meeting hundreds of my clients. So if you want that to be you, then you're going to be in with a shout if you go and give us a review on iTunes. Please, of course, do remember to subscribe so you can get all the up-to-date episodes. Peace and love, and I'll see you very, very soon. Thank you.